0: So yeah, so when Super Pope, when Benedict the 17th flies around the, the Vatican <laughs> reverse, and all of a sudden all of a sudden everything that was everything done is made undone. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here as usual with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Excellent. Doing well, Nick. Thanks. It was... Eleven degrees here in Louisville this morning. I hesitate to ask Matt what you're dealing with in Binghamton.
2: Uh-huh. Well, it's it's
0: warmer. It's oh, you said 11? I lost all of my sound.
2: <laughs> it's uh, it's 23 here, but we've had a lot of snow. So yeah. it's gonna be, tomorrow morning is going to be eight. So there
1: we go. <laughs> I, <laughs> I totally really missed all photo- of that. You had a really great photograph of your sons walking to church on Epiphany, right?
2: That was Epiphany, right? 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 didn't. Yeah. They. They didn't. Uh, Yeah, they had to park the cars down the street.
1: Straight out of a Jane Austen novel.
2: Scarves (laughs)
1: blowing in the wind.
2: They're in this kick now where they're dressing well.
1: They ask him to throw one more briquette of coal on the fire every night? <laughs> That's right.
0: Please, miss, may I have some more?
1: <laughs> and you're still not wearing socks down there, is that right?
0: Just on Sundays. Just on Sundays. Um, on like, sun- lest I get, uh l- lest my first rector from Christchurch Vienna ever shows up uh, in church <laughs> and chains me. <laughs> I have a pair of socks and shoes in my dr- desk drawer, just in case I have to go... Do some sort of sacramental something that can't have to put on black (laughs) (laughs) socks. That's smart. Uh,
1: Well, you guys, as Anglicans and Protestants, we obviously have our differences with the Catholic Church and its pope. Even popes that we have found a lot of common ground, theological agreement, and culture war alignment with, like John Paul II or Benedict XVI. Of course, there's a new pope in town now, and these last few weeks have taken our differences with Rome to a whole nother level. In recent days, Pope Francis has authorized his priests to bless people in same-sex, quote-unquote, marriages. He's engaged in dialogue with a group dedicated to facilitating conversations between Christians and Marxists. And then just the other day expressed something like universalism, although I'm sure he'd argue with that characterization, at least universalism adjacent, when he said, when asked how he imagines hell, that he likes to think of hell as empty. I hope it is, he says. This pope, you guys, has been, with a couple of notable exceptions, like his recent statements about surrogacy, he's been pushing Christians in a decidedly more liberal direction. And we can talk about all these issues individually, I hope we will, but I wanted to start with this. Why is it that we Protestants should care what the Pope says.
2: Well, I mean, he's uh, the Roman Catholic Church is the largest, the largest global church, um, in at least in the Western world, I think it's, I think it dwarfs even the Orthodox Church in the East. So it's the largest Christian body that that exists. Like you said a minute ago, we can debate about uh, how. How faithful they have been to the gospel as Protestants, we would we would disagree with strongly with certain aspects of Roman theology. But from a secular perspective, when you're looking in from the outside, Rome is is Christianity. You you don't see a bigger Behemoth astride uh, the Christian world than Rome. So for her, for the po- this Pope to begin echoing the language of the world and putting forward uh, documents that. Allow priests to bless couples in same-sex relationships, which is something that the world has been screaming for at the Christian Church for, for the last the last twenty years. For people on the outside to see that that happen is, well, it it adds great fuel to the fire of those who would who would like to. Who would like to persecute those christians who don't right so so it's, look you have you have the largest christian church the most authority, the oldest they'll say the oldest from although i think we're i think we're catholic because all this christian body uh in the world who's now doing this and who are you bigots That's right. um to, to to hold back to hold back your your favor on this but also just within within the christian realm too i mean it uh, when rome seizes everyone else catches cold the Influence that the Roman Catholic Church has on on Christians, even those who oppose or disagree with them on, on on various important matters, it can't be underestimated. I mean, there's always there's within the ecumenical movement, for example, there's always a movement toward how, how can we how can we form a greater union? How can we more be more more at more at one with with the Roman Church? Uh, What do we need to do? How do we need to, how can we, how can we facilitate that? And, you know, up till this, up till recently, it's been, it's been supposed, well, well, we need, you know, the only way for that to happen on on the Roman side is for them to, to, to agree with the five solas. But the only way for that to happen on on the Protestant side is for the Protestants to become more conservative, to do away with the idea of, Women in the priesthood, and to firm up our doctrine of marriage and celibacy, and our understanding of birth control. But now, I don't think that's. <laughs> uh, if we go and now, if if uh, if we were to do those things, which I'm, I'm glad that we did some prize denominations have, that would actually seemingly set us further apart from <laughs> right. from the Roman Church at this point. So it's no longer this picture of hey, we disagree about. The Protest- the Reformation principles with Rome and Orthodoxy, but we stand back to back when it comes to cultural issues. We yeah. don't stand back to back anymore, and that's a huge thing.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's it remains to be seen about what the actual fallout of this is going to be, because there have been some very high, outspoken archbishops around the um, the Roman Church that have pushed back on this. You know, I've also seen, obviously, some have been removed. Some of the American bishops have been summarily removed for their objection to this. But, you know, Francis is not long for this world. And the I, I, I'm hopeful still that this will, you know, at the very least cause a, a rupture within the Catholic Church um, that will, you know, mirror a lot of the other ruptures. And, um, you know, I don't know what that will do for Roman Catholic ecclesiology. Obviously, that's um, a question. But they've, sort of, they've certainly faced difficult ecclesiological questions before, you know, (laughs) I mean, uh, and so I don't think that it's obvious that the entire Roman church is going to follow Francis's lead, although that's going to be quite interesting to watch how they, they work this out. You know, does it become a conciliar movement? Does it become, you know, do they, do they have um, like an outright formal schism? Do they do a, um, or, you know, I guess the worst case scenario would be that everyone just gets in line, but, um, but Yeah. Again, watching those the biblically orthodox um, global South primates in our own communion and their courage and their sort of conviction on these issues um, is giving, me, gives me hope for at least a persistent um, uh, rejection or at least a, a pushback to this. But I don't know. I mean, that could be naive. But, you know, I think I mean, I think that, they, that the Lord is bringing judgment on all of these churches and these various church church bodies, um, the righteous judgment. And I think that, you know, the scourge that was in the Roman Catholic Church of sort of unbelief um, masquerading as um, sacramental piety that was manifesting in sexual deviancy, you know, as we've seen all over the church, uh, which has always been a hallmark. You know, that's what Luther saw when he went to Rome way back the Reformation. You know, there's been a certain flip side to the righteous Pious and faithful Roman Catholic prelate. There's always been the flip side, is you know, which has been um, is being exposed. And so I think um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm watching it with cautious optimism, but that might be naivete. I don't know. You know, or maybe we'll see a mass migration of of converts to high church Anglicanism you know, as a result of this. I don't know. Um,
2: I think one of the problems is for that scenario is is that unlike you know rather conservative popes when they take office. Who don't who haven't at least in the in the past tried to to undo any kind of influence of liberalism in the church by by making sure only conservative bishops are appointed or only conservative uh, deans for seminaries are appointed or, or you know, you know ferreting through the various organizations of the church to make sure that the conservative position is 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 upheld conservative posts don't do that Francis has done that that's that's the problem with with thinking oh he's going to die soon and things are going to snap back to normal. No, they're not going to snap back to normal because he has had he you talk listen to what traditionalists in the Roman Catholic Church are saying. He has he has taken a root and branch approach to right. um, to liberalizing Into
0: to the, liberalizing the church. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's cardinals, the bishops. Yeah, so so you don't you, the College of Cardinals now is not what it was
0: we well, are not listening to the other day that the the guy that they've appointed for the the prefect for the defense of the doctrine or something yeah, like yeah, this. It's like a Tuche like, right.
2: Fernandez. Is like he's a, like he's, written
0: some like adult yeah. erotica or something. Yeah, yeah. I think this is like a is fun Dogma movie. A real movie. Is Dogma was that like yeah. sent from the future to, uh, <laughs> to actually sort of show us? Well, what and the, to
1: Matt's point, the the Vatican, while allowing for you know quote unquote time. For these African conservatives to, you know, figure out what this may or may not look like on the ground in their jurisdictions, the in their context, the the oomph behind the offer of time is there's going to come a time when that time will be over. And this is where our church is going. And in the Roman church, unlike our Anglican church, there really is, you know, that one seat and everything does flow from there.
2: And it, it really can't be like for a traditionalist, there can't actually be a schism. You you right. can't just no, say right. it actually can't right. happen. You okay? So the pope's wrong. So we're going to go off and 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 just do our own thing. They 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 won't. They can't do that. But yeah, well, have stranger do things have happened,
0: though. Then people have rethought they their have to commitment say, to traditionalism with that in that respect. I mean, you know, you had entire entire generation of of converted former Roman Catholic priests in the Middle Ages who, yeah. some went to their deaths and some started an entire new denomination. So, I mean, I mean, we could be looking at something like that as opposed to, I don't know, but I mean, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think that some of the traditionalists are having to rethink their commitment to papal infallibility at this point, I would imagine.
2: They they, they, they can't without ceasing to be Roman Catholic. To say, to say that the, 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 the dogmatic definition of papal infallibility is, is wrong would undo... The roman catholic church because that's a, that was a dogmatic statement um or the dogmatic that was taught by the magisterium so if they say that's wrong they've essentially become a protestant church and you know, yeah that's not gonna happen <laughs> i what think that's what is for <laughs> what, <laughs> there what, we go that's not gonna happen I and mean, so what <laughs> they're gonna say within they're already saying it is one of the two things either this is a false pope right so and they've had false popes in the past and when the popes the false popes who died they just they've just yeah, well, that okay.
0: would be that would be an elegant solution yeah superman flies around the earth really, really fast and-, and that's the worst <laughs> we watched that movie again a couple of weeks ago and i was like this will never be watched in my home again this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen <laughs> so yeah so when super pope when benedict the 17th flies around the the vatican <laughs> reverse and all of a sudden all of a sudden everything that was everything done is made undone then um we'll go back uh or as some people think, Ratzinger's still alive. You know, I mean, that's another. If you read some of these sort of Catholic conspiracy theorists, um, even though he laid in wait for so long. But I think, I mean, listen, I think we're seeing the end. I mean, this this is the the the, the Catholic Church had been at least at least anchored to some form of natural law. You know, sort of traditionally understood that uh, required them to reject any sort of blessing for um, you know homosexual sexual activity. You know, that required them at least dogmatically and we're seeing a total rejection of that and so I think that the next the next things to fall if this continues will be their commitment to um be an anti-abortion you know their their rejection of I mean all the things I'll just start undoing all of it because mm-hmm. once you lose that ontological anchor into what it actually means to be a human being you know either male or female well then all bets are off and so you know, in a certain sense, the faster that's revealed, uh, the better in terms of like regrouping, you know, looking to find out, you know, like the German bishops, as far as we can tell, have, have you know, they're just celebrating this. And, you know, that means that the entire German Catholic Church, or at least the ones represented by those outspoken liberal bishops, you know, has ceased to be a Catholic church in any meaningful way a long time ago. And so I think, you know, the sooner we can get clarity on this, then the faster we can begin to have some sort of perhaps real ecumenical dialogue not necessarily sharing communion and uh, ordinate, and orders and things, but we could have, we, we know where our legitimate allies are and the people with whom we could really stand. But the problem for us in the West is that you already have people like, you know, who was it? Chris Christie recently just pointing yeah. to the Pope's decision mm-hmm. and saying, well, you know, I was pro-life, but now, I mean, I was against um, same-sex quote-unquote marriage, but now I guess I'm for it because the Pope even came out for it, like you said, mm-hmm. Matt, and that's going to be, that's going to be said by many, many more people in the West than, than in the rest of the world because it's just too convenient. you know? it's... Do you guys think that Francis
1: actually believes, as he has said, that there's a substantive difference between the blessing of individuals who are in a same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage and blessing that? He has even said that he's something like... Disappointed in how his letter was misunderstood and being thrown back into his face. Do you actually think that's well, how he feels, or is that some sort of obfuscation? Some no, sort of like
2: it's a total okay. lie. It's, obf- it's a total lie because, because there was already a, th- a way in the Roman for Roman Catholic priest or, or bishop to give a blessing to somebody who's in a sinful situation. And the idea was the person's coming to the priest or the bishop and saying, "Hey, look, I'm living with my girlfriend. I'm living with my boyfriend. Whatever it might be. I I know this is wrong. I'm sinning." please help pray for me help me and then, and then with that kind of recognition of sin and need and knowing you you need to get out of that the priest could could take give, give a blessing because because the disposition of the heart was a penitential disposition right what the innovation here is it's not just it's not this is not just blessing individuals in same-sex units this is this is blessing the couple right the the there's a distinction that the that the the pope is trying to make at least as far as james is
1: concerned it's it's blessing couples
2: right right well no it is read 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 the document it is blessing couples and then read the follow-up document after it it's blessing couples but they're trying to to make a distinction between blessing couples and blessing the union of the couples Mm -hmm. so so we're just blessing these two people coming together as a couple and we're asking that God's will be done and they, they live more fully into the, the life of Jesus and they, and they fully conform their lives to Christ, but we're not, we're not formalizing a union and we're not blessing the union as such. And everybody who's I me, mean, that's, that's a distinction without a difference. What is a couple? It's the union of these two people, right? And it's, and they're they're coming to you based on their sexual relationship and they're, and, and you can say as a priest, yeah. Uh, I'm praying that you'll be more in line with Jesus. But if the couple's already, the couple doesn't have to say, doesn't have to confess this is wrong. Right. They don't have to say we're living contrary to the church's teaching. We're living contrary to the gospel. They can just come out asking a blessing, and the priest doesn't have to say it either. He doesn't have to warn them. He just he can just he can just bless them, say I hope you live more like Jesus, and they can they can both mean the priest and the couple both mean that that their situation is fine and good. And in blessing situation. That's the problem with this whole thing. And it, you should read Cardinal. I don't know if you guys have read Cardinal Mueller's response to this, but he points out all of these things in, in great detail, and it's a really helpful piece. So,
0: did y'all read Hans Burzma, Fall of Rome, and Touchdown and and <laughs> Yeah, it was great. That was harrowing. Goodness, I was I was a little. We go for a walk after that and listen to some Beach Boys or something. It's like <laughs> that was heavy. But I agree with you, Matt. I think that the that you know. I feel in another situation, like we, you know, that we've had this conversation before. you know, we've been talking about this for for decades. And it's just so it's ridiculous, disingenuous, and laughable that somehow, the intent behind this was not to further normalize homosexual relationships within the church, and we've seen it. And the the idea that there's people trying to say otherwise is just, you know, it makes me it makes me wonder like how how you know dumb do you think we are? You know, I mean, I mean, do you, I mean this is this is so obvious and so clear. And the saddest part is you can't actually say what you you believe obviously to be true and have the courage of your convictions and walk with them. You know, we've seen the same thing in our church. You know, so people that have bending over backwards to get curry favor with the unbelieving cultural elites. It's like, you know, this, um, you know, just go ahead and say what you got to say, stand behind your convictions and let's see where the chips fall, because because the this is the saddest part right now, where we're in here, where the people are trying to to make these distinctions and trying to say, "Oh, no, it's really not what it appears to be." because from a practical standpoint, it's exactly what it appears to be, which is that, um, you know, the people that have wanted to be able to um, sort of normalize and destigmatize what the Bible clearly calls sin uh, now have papal legitimacy for that. And a lot of people are going to take that, you know, particularly the ones that the people who quote unquote, grew up Catholic and consider themselves Catholic, but don't go to church, don't know the catechism, you know, haven't participated in uh, church any meaningful way. And um, you know, and it's so nominal nominally Catholic people are going to embrace this, um, just as we've seen the nominally Christian people in in every other denomination. So, you know, I've been talking about it with my congregation is that i I have this um strange, sense of, uh, I don't know, it's the strange sense of of honor of having been called to live at such a time as this, you know, as a minister and as a preacher of the gospel, because Um, some of these great divisions that have always existed are coming to light in a way that would have been unthinkable. If you came up under John Paul II and Benedict, you know, this would be unthinkable even 10 years ago. You know, this is where we would be with respect to the Roman Catholic Church. You know, I mean, you might have seen some seeds of it in Vatican II and thought Karl Rahner was a little off the plot, but, you know, you would never have thought that they would have changed this fundamental teaching about um, human sexuality because it was such a, a bulwark and a plank. And in fact, it's one of the, one of the, Persistent, you know, areas of at least moral uh, theology that the Catholic Church has has held on to. You know, I mean, like they don't remarry divorcees. You know, we don't we don't um, allow for you know sex out of marriage. I mean, at least on paper, all these things, and those are all being uh, challenged now uh, directly head on by this by this Pope.
2: What's interesting, you mentioned this hasn't be thinkable twenty years ago, ten years ago, but this is where. Uh, you could probably recount many conversations you've had as well with people who look at the Anglican situation and say, look, this is because we're Protestants. Uh, the reason, reason these crazy things are happening, same sex blessings are being, you know, blessed and, and solemnized in church. And, uh, the, the reason that's happening is because we have, we've have cut ourselves off from the rock <laughs> from the sea of Peter and, and see, they, they have a magisterial authority and, uh, a rock solid, doctrinal and dogmatic basis that can be enforced. So I'm going to go to Rome where these things won't happen. And and look. Look what happens. It, 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 it's, it's happening. They just um, say they, that they, it's not. They say, well, evil <laughs> <that> everybody... <laughs> right. Gavin Ashenden, what, who,
0: mm-hmm. the Anglican
2: yeah. who left the Church of England and then left for a, a kind of a, I guess, a kind of continuum sort of Anglican church and then finally went to Rome. He is he's beside himself because this is... Um, and he's making all kinds of videos about why it was totally right for him to Rome, even though they've done this. <laughs> or he's 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 deep into cope at this point, um, <laughs> not that into <guy> so. <laughs> cope. <laughs> right. right.
1: <laughs> Let's talk for a second about Marxism and the Church. Uh, we have talked before about liberation theology. This Pope is from South America, the the home of liberation theology. Do you think that there are aspects of a liberation theology that are compatible with Christianity that he's sort of trying to make? Or is this just totally out of bounds? Is this something that Christians need to steer clear of? What is the liberation theology that he's well, that he's trying to incorporate?
0: I mean, uh, that again, I feel like we're, I mean, this is... Twenty years ago, we were having this conversation. The same thing, you know, what is it, Gutierrez and his sort of, Mm -hmm. or Pablo Follares and the Pedagogy of the Oppressed. You know, these these sort of liberation Marxist liberation theologians who, who argue that there is a um, unique and special place uh, with God present in the poor and the outcast. That there's a sort of a a, almost a privileged spiritual component to the oppressed. Um, That being said, that the fundamental work of of Jesus was to free the oppressed. That's right. That's right. So there's a and, you know, there's uh the, talked about this so much, but I matter not know about you, exhausted. too. But, well, it's just like – I mean, the idea that we're not supposed to take care of the poor and the needy is laughable. So if a Christian comes to you and says that I'm unconcerned about the status of the poor and the needy, we say, well, we need to talk about whether you're a Christian or not, you know, but the disagreement about how to address that and and whether or not Jesus, this side of heaven, in his own statement, the poor will always be with you, but I will not always be with, you know, present um, and, and physically in this way means that. As a utopian ideal that will be ultimately realized when the kingdom is finally made here on earth matt but in the meantime the um idealistic uh utopian ideal through political pressure and through um even through church pressure um is misguided you know and it's it's a misguided um sort of attempt to bring the kingdom over realized eschatology and all that but you know the idea that the fundamental Marxist paradigm that we've talked about between oppressed and oppressor, you know, between the haves and the have-nots, between the um, those in power and in and, and not in power, is a non-Christian dynamic. It's not a. It's a sinful reality. No question, but it, in terms of within the framework of the church, to baptize that and to somehow bring that into theological discussion or or syncretism with with preaching and teaching of the gospel um, is is has been exposed since the moment it was begun. Preach and will continue to be pushed back on by Christian theologians uh, wherever it's found. And so the sad part is, as we said in the beginning, it's now found at least being espoused um, directly and indirectly by the head of the one billion plus member. Church, which is um, that's a lot of refutation that we're going to have to <laughs> have to continue to uh, mount. But you know, we've been Protestants for a long time, so I guess we'll just have one more thing to protest.
1: But yeah. it's, even having said that, it it is a theology that Catholics past have mm-hmm. repudiated.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, of course it is, and there there definitely there is a, a a stream of of social teaching within the Roman Catholic Church, which is I would say more. Redistributive, then it's not capitalist. Let's put it that way. But as far as liberation theology itself goes, everything that J.D. said is right. It's 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 incompatible with uh, Christian orthodoxy, and even with Roman um, Roman orthodoxy. Just the just the just the uh, the principle enshrined in Leviticus nineteen that that you can't show partiality toward the poor uh, against a rich person just because he's rich. That, that undercuts the entire notion. Um, the, the, the enshrinement of prop, private property and the passing on of wealth from generation to generation you have in um, the scriptures just cuts the heart out of the whole ideal. Um, Lazarus and mention. the rich
1: man is a fine parable to tell until you get to the part where Lazarus finds himself in the bosom of Abraham, one of the
2: richest men in Genesis. Right, right. It's, it's exactly, <laughs> yeah. Because you have you have throughout the scriptures, you have poor people who are who are who are faithful, and you have rich people who are faithful, and and their and their wealth isn't uh, knock against them, um, and neither is their poverty. So what what matters is where. Uh, whether a person has put his, his or her trust in christ and yeah is it's the what jd's i love jD summer because it's not it's not a, a the, the christian social ethic mm-hmm. as we find it in the scriptures is one of generosity and and concern for the poor if you have if you're not poor you'd be, you'd be generous and, and concern for the poor um but it's never we will Coercively take your stuff away, and give it to somebody else. That's just not not only is that not in the scriptures, it violates the like eighth commandment. I think Thou shalt not steal.
0: Well it's been interesting to see um you know sort of the 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 fears of this Pope uh be realized so dramatically and so concretely you know I remember I taught a rector's forum must have been whenever he how long has he been Pope I called it the Pope on a rope I thought that was pretty funny mm-hmm. but um but because he was that was when he famously said remember he was questioned whether or not uh, homosexuality was a sin and he said who am I to judge who am I to judge remember yeah. and like the New York Times had a had a sort of, you know, had a conniption fit because they were so excited that perhaps this this pope would be the one that would finally be able to be on their masthead, you know, like all the other people that have repudiated the Christian faith in a variety of ways. You know, and we were sort of watching them then that he seemed to be the type pope that was going to be finally bring the the Catholic Church into the 21st century, you know, that he was finally going to make it socially respectable to be a quote unquote religious person. And, you know, in many ways, he's done that. I mean, in many ways, you know, he's, he's, or at least for the people looking for that, he has, uh, you know, demystified a lot of the, um, you know, he's taken the, he's making it legal to do the uh, Latin rite, you know, so you can't, you can't, if you were, if you're a traditionalist in that respect, he's starting to stamp that out. Um, you know, he's been wishy and squishy on all the various great questions of the day. He does seem as, even though I was intimated before that I, I think that this would lead towards a, acceptance of abortion he has been fairly clear on that nevertheless so we can be grateful for that as we approach sanctity of life sunday but it's um it's really disheartening i mean i think it's uh, if i were a roman catholic right now and i have some dear roman catholic friends who are very devout and i know that they are uh disheartened by this and and really um you know and of course it's hard not to to sort of share some of their uh you know to I mean, we have a little bit of that disheartening reality too of having had leaders um fail us in this respect Um, That being said, you know, I think it's more of a practical, for me, it's more of a practical reality of the sheer numbers that are represented rather than a theological fear that I disagree with the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, I have disagreed with the Roman Catholic Church ever since I can remember and more, um, you know, staunchly the older I get uh i remain a protestant who protests and so like i said before if this is one of the areas we have to now protest against them well then so be it it's just going to be lonelier than it was before because at least we could say well that pope you know that church was going to be you know on the on the side of, of of natural law at the very least and the side of you know sort of basic human ontology and and therefore dignity but um it looks like that may not be the case
1: well his latest Comments I think uh, given on a talk show, an Italian talk show about hell, I said at the top were at least uh, universalist adjacent. I think maybe even also um, annihilationist adjacent. I we can I think more easily dispose of universalism that's sort of pretty clearly not taught in scriptures. I I feel like uh, annihilationism has a has a better pedigree. There are more People that we sort of would want to trust who have taught that john stott of course comes to mind most famously but that we would say is not compatible with biblically orthodox christianity either
2: yeah i mean i don't think john taught, john taught it he he opened it up as a possibility i okay. think but i'm not sure that he fully personally embraced it yeah no, innovation in, in, in his, annihilationism is the I'm mangling the word but the idea is that once a person who's a non-believer dies his judgment is to be to cease to exist Mm -hmm. there's no there's no there's no eternal uh, conscious torment is the word is the phrase that that people like to use yeah Yeah, so but the the problem with annihilationism which which is more acceptable I think than universalism but the problem with violationism is that's not how Scripture actually de- de- describes hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the metaphors that Jesus uses for it, for example, the, the the worm that never dies and the fire that is never quenched. He's he, he, The type of worm he's talking about is a worm that, that feeds off the human flesh, right? So why would a human body – why would a human well, worm not die? It's only if there's never something to stop eating, right? There's, he's, there's never – the host is never – Sleep cold, cold, tight, kids. Yeah, yeah. And, then, <laughs> Do and the you fire, a... why is the fire, you think is the fire that it's... Not consumed? The fire is not consumed. Is yeah. never be, there's never an end to the thing that it's burning. So, so that the idea of eternal torment is there. Um, and and that, that should, instead of trying to be more compassionate than God, which is, I, I think, yeah. where the Pope seems to have landed on this, that should actually fuel and drive us to greater efforts of evangelism. And let me just
1: jump in real quick before J.D. says whatever he was going to say. The reason is not some sort of like desire for punishment. The reason is that God's holiness is eternal and his justice is therefore eternal too. And when we see in in Revelation saints in heaven seeing presumably people potentially that they knew and loved – being judged and going to hell they recognize the holiness of God's judgment like we can't see that now because we're we're finite and we will die but when when we see fully what God's love entails which includes justice for the sinful then an eternal conscious torment is the only thing that balances the other side of the scales to eternal holiness and
0: righteousness. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of hell, you know, should be spoken about, you know, fear and trembling. I mean, even by believers. I mean, like, I there's no there's no joy of consideration of anyone being in eternal conscious torment, you know, and I think, which is why we devote our lives to fishing men and women. Like, this is what we're doing. Like, what do you, you know, and they're like, well, you, you know, you don't flippantly say this, um, but the, the historical we uh, you know we have 2000 years of data to prove the point that when you begin to go against contrary to the clear teaching of scripture these fundamental realities that have been revealed to us you know heaven and hell and sin and judgment and the atonement and um you know god's image in men and women you know purpose for sexuality like they're all part of a whole and so when you begin to unravel here it's it's irreducibly complex as they would say and you can't help but unravel over here and the whole thing begins to start crumbling and so you know we've seen it you know once you begin to to start questioning the reality of hell well then you know all of a sudden you you're one step closer to open theism you know because you've got to start wondering about god's sovereignty in the first place and then you've got to start thinking and then so and then you end up a You know, a disheartened Unitarian at Burning Man, Um, and that's where uh, (laughs) that's the trajectory Um, or like Bishop Pike, you know, wandering about a wadi out in the middle of uh, Israel, you know, looking for, um, you know, I don't know, like buried civilizations or something. And so, you know, again, I I would be the last to say that, that there's some sort of clear picture that we have been given um, for exactly how this is all going to turn out. And so it's just an easy calculus that should should be, you know, insert you here, God here, Jesus here, and, you know, outcomes comes um, all of the questions, I mean, all of the answers. But if you take Romans 9, 10, 11 as our guide, you see that the consideration of these awful and terrible things about God being God, about justice being real, about you know, his omnipotent the sovereign hand over, even in the midst of what seems to be um, chaos and torment, well, then it leads to the end of chapter 11, which is a doxology. I mean, that's what it, that's where this leads. And when you lose any of that awesome reverence, you lose the doxology, because at the end of the day, the consideration of the fact that God is active, sovereign, in control, even during, and especially during times where we think he is absent, um, should send a tremor down even the most devout, not of servile or obescent fear, but of just the actual reality of standing and living in the presence of a holy God. And, you know, and that's where I'm teaching through that with Romans right now. And it's, it's easy to say, um, I can certainly communicate it to the extent that I've personally feel it um, but you know we're watching the people wrestle through this at the same time and it's a necessary part of this wrestling but if you're given the opportunity to step outside the ring as it were and not wrestle with these great and terrible questions well then you're not going to get to that doxological point and that's what we're going to see we see that in the Episcopal Church we see that in the Unitarian Church and now well sadly we may start seeing that in the Catholic Church I mean that's what's so sad about some of the vatican ii revisions you know you had you could at least count on some of the roman catholic churches to make you feel otherworldly when you walked in there you know i've been to a couple myself and i've not taken communion but i have been appreciative of the transcendence and the verticality of it um and then you've got the ones that have like the you know john denver up front with birkenstocks you know uh, coke and and um you know crackers or something like that and you're like you, you seem to have lost something here and so it's going to be interesting. I mean it's going to be interesting to watch because I don't think that those global South bishops are going to bend the knee or capitulate, and so you know, again, I mean, they can be removed, but you know, Cardinal Sarah, it doesn't seem like he would go down without a fight among others, so I'm praying for them, praying for praying for the courageous uh, Orthodox witness to stand firm
2: technically, people are saying, well, the Pope didn't say he's annihilationist or he did all he said was. Mm-hmm. I like to think of hell as empty. And, and, and then there's well Who wouldn't like to think of hell as empty? Nobody wants anyone to go to hell. And that that, that last statement's true. Nobody wants anyone to go to hell, including God, I think. That's, that's what he says in in uh, Jeremiah 18, anyway. Or Ezekiel 18. Jeremiah or Ezekiel 18. I, 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 it's not my will that anyone should perish. but Or no, he weeps. At the, at, why won't you turn? He's constant. You see this all throughout the scriptures. God pleading with his people to repent and turn. So they, so they won't have to. Go into this, this, doom but I mean, uh, I guess the, the, the kind of flippancy of the phrase I like to think of hell as empty. I mean, Cal Naughton Jr. likes to think of Jesus with a t shirt tuxedo because he's kind of casual. <laughs> we also right. a sort of form with of the nice party. Well, that's, right? right. that, so, that's, that's what I'm saying. The, <laughs> this is the chief teacher of the church, right? He's supposed to be.
1: Yeah. When you say yes to being Pope, you have to leave flippancy behind you.
2: Yeah, he consistently does this. That's what that that statement of, you know, who am I to judge? That's another off the hand statement. You're, well, you claim to be the vicar of Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was uh, uh, Hans Feeney of of the Lutheran satire who said, you, at least if your claims are true, above all people have the right room to judge. You have the room to say this is wrong, this is right. So anyway.
0: Well, I've been—I've been, as I've said before on this podcast, you know, Cardinal Sarah, as I mentioned earlier, among others, have been very encouraging to me in the midst of my own sort of struggle with uh, orthodoxy and things. And so I pray for them now more fervently than I even did before. And I—I I really am um, hopeful that perhaps this will just be the false pope, you know, and we'll go back to maybe one of the first African popes, maybe the first, you know, who knows? But somebody that that just simply teaches and and stands up for what the catholic church does and we can still protest some of their overreaches but we could still stand with them in some of the courageous positions they've carved out for the sake of the actual sheep you know i mean it's yeah. not it's as benedict himself said you know it is the it's the furthest thing from love to perpetuate and bless a lie I mean that is the furthest and most unloving thing you can do and so um, for entire generations of children that are being brought up in the confused world of purposeless aimlessness and godless existence um, to lose the support and the vision and the preaching of the roman catholic church would be a huge loss now that being said the church of rome hath aired you know we we know and, and the pope has no, the bishop of rome has no jurisdiction in our house or in our church so you know if this is the way they go then so be it but Lord, have mercy. I mean, that's that's my prayer. And I hope, that, um, I hope that what we see on the other side of this is a clarification and some sort of refining, even of the Catholic Church, which would further clarify this great divide that we seem to have been given the joy and the challenge of living um, in the middle of, um, and pray that we'll find uh, even stronger and more consistent uh, bedfellows on the other side who will stand, you know, in different communions and different churches, but nevertheless, shoulder to shoulder uh, in the same direction.
1: Well, as you guys said earlier, our listener will need to know that though he or she is almost certainly not in a Catholic church, these ideas as articulated by the Pope are going to be ideas that come up in conversations that you hear at the water cooler, that you hear at school board meetings, that as we said, you start to hear from presidential candidates. So these are things that will affect you, our lives, that we need to be Ready to talk about, ready to have answers for, and certainly I'm um, ready to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, as well as our own churches, our own families, and ourselves. Well, thank you yeah. for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirmandfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to JD Coke and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord Willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.